Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We uh, we did it. This was the end. This is the end. Peter Jackson's Battle of the Five Armies. So many armies. Thorin, you gave a promise. You brought upon them only ruin and death. You've won the mountain, is that not enough? 
came to reclaim something of mine. This was the last move in a master plan. A plan long in the making. These bats are bred for one purpose. For more. Leave Sauron to me. Bilbo is right. You cannot see what you have become. Everything I did, I did for them. You started this. You will forgive me if I finish it. When faced with death, what can anyone do? Thank you, everybody, for downloading and subscribing to The Next Reel. This is the film board, our monthly gathering of thugs to take on a new release film and spoil the smog out of it. <laughs> I am Pete <laughs> Wright. <laughs> yes, that happened. And I am joined by the once and future king under the mountain, Mr. Steve Sarmento. Let's hey, see. good evening, everybody. We've got here a craftsman in his own right who has actually been there and back again, Mr. Chad Stoops. Hola, senor. And Mr. I Don't Fancy Fantasy, I'm Just Drawn That Way, Tom Metz. <laughs> it's Tommy Handsome, and hello, friends. <laughs> of uh, particular note, uh, we are missing the fine Andy Nelson this evening. Andy is recuperating from donating a kidney earlier this week. Uh, I uh, caught up with Andy earlier today to see you know, how he's doing, and I posted a, a super, super quick conversation in the feed for those who are curious about what happens when you donate a kidney, what that's like, where they take it, kind of where they drill the holes, that sort of a thing. Mm. Uh, and uh, he is doing uh, really quite well. As dangerous and painful as it was, it sounds like, in fact, it was still better than Lucy. <laughs> he is wonderful. He is very missed. He is very missed. Gentlemen uh, in attendance, welcome uh, to the film board. Before we get started, however, I do have a brief announcement. Oh. We've got shirts. What? Right? If really? you haven't checed out the uh, 2014... Really? <laughs> I mean, I totally know. Really? No, no pun intended. Really? Yeah. If you <laughs> haven't checked out the 2014 Top 5 T-Shirt... Nice. Head over to thenextreel.com. This is a commissioned piece from the fantastically talented friend of the show, Joel Micah Harris. It's a, it's a classic uh, fixed film reel with each spoke hole, a custom work of art celebrating the top five films uh, as it stands right now on our film board flick chart challenge. Anybody know those top films off the top of their head? Uh, this is a film board I test. I but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All the ones that you've seen, right, Chad? That's right. It's pretty much that. 
Now, come on. You have to have seen some of these oh, films. No, so, give me the top I, five. I listen. I listen and I know. Okay, then that, please that, do that, it. That network. Network is in there. <laughs> that and network. The, the, and, and the fabulous Raisin Arizona. Mm-hmm. And mm. we're going to need a bigger podcast, Jaws. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, what? what's in the box? What's in the box? You it's know a what's shirt. in the box? It's a shirt. Seven yes. shirts for seven. And then the, the we're staring at you with our dilated pupils, the Requiem for a, a Dreamy Dreamerson. Mm-hmm. For huh? Dreamy McDreamerson. That's right. Uh, wow, all five films. So we we've got uh, some great. You haven't heard of any of this? Did you just say <laughs> no, that out I'm loud? Just <laughs> if you're a supporter of the show, if you've been listening to the show, help us out. Help the show out. Show your love of the show by picking up our very first bit of show propaganda at thenextreel.com. Just click on the. There's a little picture of the shirt right in the sidebar. There, you can buy the shirt. Help oh, wow. a brother out. That's what we're asking. That is all. And- Pete, as I understand, it's a limited edition T-shirt, isn't that? It, it is limited edition. It's limited edition only insofar as uh, we're going to stop selling it at some point. How about that? Uh, In a no, way, it's... everything is limited edition. <laughs> Aren't we all, Steve? No, this right. is collectible. This is that's, collectible. That's the right. price is going to skyrocket well, we when have that this, top five that's changes. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Buy it before we watch other great films that replace these top five. This is our thinking, right? This is our thing. We're going to start this uh, co- this collectible limited edition buy it while it's hot t-shirt thing every year and uh we're going to commission a new piece that celebrates the top five films in uh, unless the films don't change then it might be the the <laughs> the next the five, five the next right. five films no it'll just be dedicated to rush <laughs> it's just a whole shirt a rush shirt that's all we're doing uh and so we're going to do this every year so this will be the 2014 you get mm. it i think we're going to stop selling it uh, around the end of january so i i think you got a you got a little over a month to pick it up and then we're gonna then we're gonna close the doors on this particular chapter so uh for all those who have bought uh shirts already thank you and uh for those who haven't yet uh hurry up so i can thank you later how's that <laughs> uh okay I think that's all we have to say about shirts, propaganda, and advertising. And that brings us to our fair and faithful companion, Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo and his merry band of dwarves take on the mighty smog and fight lots and lots of guys. Yeah. What do you think, boys? The stakes are clearly high in this uh, Jackson wonder ride through Middle Earth. Uh, It seems like the the stakes are high, uh, not only for the uh, fantastic Bilbo protagonist, but but for Peter Jackson himself, who is continuously beaten up by the uh, mainstream and nerd media alike for his alleged arrogance and his decision to take this to a three-film extravaganza. Does does the Battle of the Five Armies uh, prove Jackson right? Is this the film you wanted and needed to wrap up this series? Initial impressions, Steve. Parts of it. That's <laughs> good. Well said. Come in strong. <laughs> That's, you know, we'll get into the details in a bit, but uh, the character of Thorin suffers from something called dragon sickness, which has to do with this certain, you know, I don't know, egotism and selfishness and greediness. And I want to say with this trilogy of films that I think Peter Jackson himself was suffering for a little bit of that dragon sickness and just didn't have some good perspective on how to tell this story best. So yeah. I was I was a little disappointed with this one. Is that is this is that where sort of the locus of your disappointment centers around Thorin itself himself or is it is it just Oh there's generally? there's a variety there's a variety of things that we'll, we'll excellent get into. a bouquet of problems that's yes. 
Excellent. All right, Chad, initial impressions from you. Can I sum the movie up in just this little dialogue? I dare you. All right. Come out! Please come out! We're not coming out! That's it. <laughs> Why didn't That's the you whole movie. this? Right. Oh. That please does come it. Out? Would you please, please come out? No, we're not going to come out. You can't make us come out. I say get out there now. Please get out. But oh, you must pay the yeah. rent. But we can't pay the rent. I think that's a fantastic summary. Yeah. I, um, you know, I just felt like it could have been... It could have been a, I, it could have been a lot shorter. I mean, the two guys next to me fell asleep, fell asleep and started snoring. You're not kidding. I'm not kidding. They were snoring so loud the rest of the, the rest of the theater started laughing at the guy's snoring because one started snoring and the guy next to him was laughing and then a half an hour later he fell asleep too and they were both snoring and it was just ridiculous. Wow. Were both of those people me? Oh, shots fired! Bam, 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 bam. Tom, I didn't see that coming. T- please tell us. Tommy, we have your initial impressions. Um, I pretty much hated it. I'm sorry. <gasps> I know. Uh, wow. I mean, it was just okay. Let, we know that I'm not the audience for this movie, but even so, I have loved Peter Jackson in the past. But this was just. So much spectacle versus actual real imagination. After over an hour of feverish fighting, I can remember three visuals, and that's it. Uh, I thought it was, for so much money on the screen, I was amazed at how bored I was. Wow. Yeah. Take it in. Is there, was it, it was the overall experience, or can you pinpoint a particular low? I have plenty of... Okay, well, I can say, if we're just talking about openers, the one person that I cared about, who is maybe Martin Freeman as The Hobbit, is weirdly sidelined for most of the movie. They pretend that he's important, but he's usually just sort of skulking around and hiding. Um, And therefore, I guess I can sum it up this way. At the... uh, (laughs) At this... In sum up, can I go ahead and spoil the end of the movie? I, that, is, that is for what we are known. I'll let the spoilers begin. When, at the very end, when he's turning around to go back to Hobbit Town, whatever that's called. It's Hobbiton, really. You I, just say it like that. Oh, okay, Hobbiton. Um, <laughs> he turns around to find all of his dwarf companions uh, there to say goodbye. And I broke out laughing because I realized I didn't care about any of them. Almost any of them. Yeah. Yeah. They were just, it was just too much. And to go on Steve's point, and I will wrap it up, I apologize, for a movie whose moral seems to be don't be greedy, this was officially the last nail in the coffin for me of why was this ever three films. Mm-hmm. The end. I, uh, I, boy, I've got to tell you, I, I was pretty saddened by my experience with this film as well. I, um, you know, the, I, the piece I was looking forward to the most was, uh, the, the, the great battle at Lake town. Um, you know, I feel like the, the second movie, which already broke some of the cardinal rules of, of, uh, um, Tolkien fantasy, 
by making, you know, adding sort of roller coasters and fantastical experiences where the characters are suddenly able to just kind of not deal with gravity, for example. Uh, um, oh, like the barrel chase? Yeah, the barrel chase and the mm-hmm. and the crazy goblin, uh, you know, wonder ride through the underground caverns. You know, <laughs> uh, you know they, they already were pushing the boundaries of Tolkien's kind of fantasy logic. Uh, but, you know, they set us up in that last film uh, that the Battle of Lake Town was the next thing we were going to experience. And and that, you know, I, I know, and you guys all got on me last time. For the, those who read the book got on me last time for saying, well, there's a whole other battle of the five armies at the end of the book, and that's the biggest thing. But for me, the thing that was... That was that I was personally most connected to was the battle with that dragon. I mean, Smaug is the iconic character from this film, and and uh, that was the thing I was most looking forward to. And the opening sequence of this film resolves the Smaug storyline before the film's title card. <laughs> You're <Yes>. right. <laughs> yes. Right? This yeah. is a film that is... How long is this movie? This is... Um, Two days and three months? <laughs> It's still it's still 140 being made. it's still being made. Yeah. Uh, it's 144 minutes and the thing I was looking forward to the most was resolved before the title card. Right. I I was enormously disappointed. Now, those first 5 minutes I I uh, I, I thought visually were, were quite a treat. And I think there's one thing you can say about uh, about Jackson you you can't say is that his his visuals and the world that he creates aren't uh, really well figured. Yeah, they are beautiful. I mean, I I thought the the effects in this film were were quite gorgeous. Um, I think well figured, but not well shot. And I know that yeah. to, say, to say well shot seems weird in a completely fake situation. Yeah, but no, I agree with that. It just in terms of where you put the camera and and how you edit those sequences together. And I want to latch on to one of the points you just made. I, I think it was also Milo was an editing moment in the same sequence that you you brought up the end the cadet review. Uh, where all of the <laughs> all of the dwarves are in a line, so Bilbo is sitting there, and I know I'm I'm going way too long on my initial impressions. I apologize. Uh, Bilbo is standing there. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. He turns yeah. around, and we see the dwarves. But in that first shot, did we see Gandalf in that in the lineup? No. I don't think we do. Uh-uh. And then it cuts back to Bilbo. Everybody laughs, and then we have this quick like smash cut close up to Gandalf and then back to the nine or to the dwarves and Gandalf is suddenly there like it just felt like oh my goodness this is an unfinished scene without Gandalf now he's going to be standing there in the and and he's he's going to be right behind everybody it was just really sloppy and and uh, made it feel um so cartoonish just the the general sense of the film was really cartoonish so I I definitely had some problems with it and um um, you know, since I started the film disappointed, it was, it was t- a tough fight to, um, to get back up to the surface. <clears throat> and that's good that you brought up the dragon because it was kind of like the same way that I felt. I felt for all three Hobbit movies, no dragon, no Gollum just means no fun. I just personally, this is just me. I don't care about any scene that doesn't involve the dragon or Gollum. Well, Gollum was busy because Andy Serkis was second unit director on this film. Do you note that? Yeah. Good for him. Right? That's exciting. Bad for us. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, let's you, you know, we've got, uh, t- let's talk a little bit about the direction of the film. Um, 
and and Peter Jackson in particular his his role. I, I would very much like your insights in how this film and and I think we can safely say this trilogy um, differs from the Lord of the Rings, and I and I think that's a fair assessment when talking about the five armies because. My sense is that Peter Jackson and and team got themselves in trouble directing this film because they had built such a fantastical and sophisticated world in Lord of the Rings, adapting that world to what ultimately is a children's story. Hmm. Hmm. That, to me, feels like a real pressure point in this film. Can does, Am I alone in that? No. I no, think they should have made they sh- they should have made <clears throat> they should have made the Hobbit first, because then it would have given him a springboard to launch into something greater and bigger and grander. I, he had to make something out of nothing. Yeah, and that I, was his problem. I, I you know I actually I had that thought today. I, that struck me that maybe this was just made out of order. Yeah. Well, it's it, to me it's I mean, and I hate to say this, it, it came back to it reminded me so much of. Star Wars of the original trilogy tells this really simple story, but you've got you've got this good versus evil. You've got corruption. You've got these these heroes struggling against the forces of darkness, and that's what's going on in Lord of the Rings. And the Hobbit is before this 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 big evil emerges. So you've I mean you you don't have this big conflict, and so they sort of have to. Well, we know this thing exists. We sort of have to shoehorn it in, and then there's all the bad jokes of oh we're these characters that were in the the original trilogy. We're gonna sort of squeeze them in here is these little inside jokes so we can have Legolas making little jokes about how he hates dwarves because oh that's funny because we know in these films we've seen before that oh his best friend's going to be a dwarf and you play with all this you know assumed knowledge that people have from the, the original trilogy that they saw which chronologically makes no sense why those elements would be in the story it feels like fluff and filler and it's the other part is you're, you're taking and expanding a story and having to fill in so many gaps. To me, that was the big problem with this was they expanded the story and the elements that they added, You, they seemed to stray so far from what the heart of that Hobbit story is. And they were, they were fit in to try to build in this universe that even Tolkien himself hadn't really written out and developed when he wrote The Hobbit. And you're trying to cram those things into the story and it just isn't the same story because that world didn't exist when The Hobbit was written. It wasn't part of that initial story. And now we're trying to bring those things in. Why do we have to have Galadriel you know, and, and Sauron fighting the Nine and, and all those things? It just created this, I need to complete this universe. I have to create this, this whole thing that's this whole and that's not what The Hobbit was. And to me, that just really really bothered me because it just felt like fluff and there was some really bad dialogue that bothered me but you know that's that's my take on sort of the the problems with the, it the, the shoehorning of the universe yeah. well, i love I mean, that you just said like gladwell or whatever fighting the <laughs> i have no idea like there were so many speeches given like portentous speeches given <laughs> with so many like proper nouns oh. about fake places and mm-hmm. things. I thought the movie was making fun of me. Like I, I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. Of like, I was just expecting you guys w- 
thinking about me maybe watching this movie and being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about. Maybe it's just did, me. Did you, did you get the feeling that, it, particularly in the battle, as they're introducing the five armies, and let me say, I went to see this with my daughter, who is 12, and even she looked over at me sarcastically every time they introduced a new species and said, second army, check Right, as she's going through each of the five armies, and finally yeah. the eagles come in. She's like, "And there's number five. Oh, was the eagles the fifth? Honestly, I and I didn't want to yeah. be. Like, I, I didn't know what the fifth army was. Neither did I. The fifth army was oh. hope. Oh, <laughs> the fifth army was boredom. <laughs> Wait, what? What was the fifth army? Was literally the eagles? The I, army of the eagles. Was yeah. it? Yeah. I, what? You know, I, <laughs> I I don't I, I I lost track because you've got yeah it's the elves you've got, the elves, you've got humans you've got the elves you've got the, dwarves. The, 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 you've got the dwarven army that shows up you've got, you've got the, the three three hundred uh, poor stricken beaten up dragon fighting humans yeah uh, who are completely useless but they count as an army oh they yep. do yeah. right. Um, oh, it's the army of men, and you've got the orcs. That's the, the fourth yeah. army, but you get yeah. two of those, so that's kind right. of a, a daily double. Army? And then the yeah. fifth army is the eagles when they come in at the end and, and rescue everybody. No, that's just that's ridiculous. No, I don't call that an army. I it is an army because remember he yeah. at the I, end he says uh, or at the beginning, uh, Gandalf says, "Call all your armies of beast and bug yeah, or something exactly. like he's that's." I mean, at least, I mean, and say, frankly, where were the eagles at the beginning of this stupid oh, thing? Come on, that's they the cleaned with all every with the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. The eagles are just that plot device. That's like, well, if the eagles had showed up, they could have carried Frodo to the volcano, to yeah. dropped the ring in, and right. you know, yeah, yeah they like, could have, why do we have so to much. walk all this way. And yes. that was the other thing that bothered me so much. This movie took us three films to get you know, Bilbo to there. And then he and, you know, with, you know, an escort of dwarves, and then like he and Gandalf can just like mosey their way back to the Shire. And there's no, <laughs> no notable incidents at all. Despite the fact that we had three films of incidents to get out there on that same journey back. Nah, nothing of note happens. He's fine. <laughs> are you sure the, <laughs> are you sure the fifth army wasn't the backup orc army? Yes. Because the fifth armies refer to species. Oh. Okay. It wasn't the sandworms? Those weren't part of the fifth army? Those weren't even in the book. Yeah. That's not even a thing. That's Dune. No, I think... Exactly. No, it's Why didn't they just burrow under that... <laughs> burrow under everybody and the ground would collapse beneath them into tunnels and... Yeah. Their, uh, that? That was Why that? didn't they burrow into the, into the castle of the, the yeah, threshold exactly. and like eat the gold there out? I don't know. Anyway. The gold they're out. Uh, okay. Let's talk then about performances. Any, I mean, so we're talking about the overall structure of this thing and, and how it was put together. And obviously there are some frustrations. Did anybody, uh, did any particular performance stand out to you as something that you could latch on to? Something that tied you back to the thread of the film? Martin Freeman. Uh, he was ticky in this. He had more ticks than I remember him having as an actor. Mm-hmm. Of like doing his little nose wipe and doing his little sort of shy smile. But he was the only person not either screaming or talking really slow. And oh, so yeah, the drug-induced Thorn slow talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, once Thorn got the gold grazies, yeah. as I like to call it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he, was, he was the most, I, it's dumb to say, but he was the most human, meaning the most relatable the most per- the the one person that wasn't involved in the most important film of all time, 
And I thought that that's how most of the uh, actors delivered all their lines. So Martin Freeman for me. So this, I don't want to say it's solely I'm going to stand on the performances on this, but midway through the film as I was getting completely bored, there was was an element of this film that actually perked up my attention. I thought, I'm kind of interested in this storyline. I'm finding myself a little bit more invested in these characters than I that I am in many of the people in this film of these five billion armies. And that was, to put it so Tom can understand, the dwarf elf sort of love story. When, mm-hmm. when, they're, when that... When oh, with, with the girl from Lost and Steve? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. When, when he's when, the hot, when, the hot when, dwarf. Yeah. When, yes, when she's trying to save him, and the, you know that orc is, and the, the two of them are taking on that orc, and it's like he's trying to save her, she's trying to save him. I thought I'm really interested, and maybe it's because this isn't a storyline in the Hobbit book at all. But I thought there's some stakes here. I kind of care about them because I've seen things of you know she's willing to sort of like walk away from her her tribe basically because of love and that this, this, this forbidden love. It's almost like a Romeo and Juliet thing. But I thought I'm sort of interested in the sacrifices that they're willing to make because of their relationship. And I was more invested in, in that. And I was like, wow, I'm, I want to see how this plays out. Is he going to save her? Is who's going to die? What's going on? And that to me was one of the most compelling and interesting parts of the film because I, I was awake <laughs> He kept my attention. Yeah. Everything else was just, you know, and I, I that I was surprised because I wasn't expecting it because I thought, you know, oh, it's something they're they're putting something in to add some, you know, some love story, something instead of just action and dwarves and, and monsters. But to me, there was something about it that had some heart to it that I found interesting. Hmm. I'm. I, who else? Had, uh, let's talk about uh, the the love story uh, between Steve and and Tori and the girl from Lost. Uh, w- other opinions on that? I'm really interested in that because it was obviously a, a particularly big shakeup from the book. Oh yeah. He, oh, I don't think. <clears throat> I think what the problem with that is, and I agree with Steve that it was interesting, but it was only interesting in the fact that we didn't quite. It, it didn't ever go anywhere, and then the guy, and then Steve jumps on the guy and he gets stabbed and that's pretty much the end of that i mean it doesn't really last long the the whole extent of that is them watching each other as he's going off on a boat and then then the second part was when they're far away from each other looking at each other again and he comes to go save her and that part's really fast i mean it was it was really cool for the moment that it was there and then she cries over his body about love, and then it's like, okay, well, well, we know that the elves don't know anything about love, but that was one of the worst lines. That that, that really, excuse me, stuck it? in my craw. The whole why does it hurt? What because it? it's real, and I thought, oh, yeah, that oh, is just the worst line. I, oh, thought, just, just, I actually <laughs> said it right before he said it to myself <laughs> because this is the most real. I part was of able to movie. guess that that was the only line I was able to guess because it's real. Yeah, the it, uh, you know that was an interesting one, and I, I bring I, I kind of poke at that one because uh, in particular, uh, the, he was asked uh, in an interview in the uh, Daily Beast uh, with uh, Alex Suskind about that, uh, you know that sequence in particular, right? That mm-hmm. you know this was added to the book. What do you think about this? And he says, um, 
you've got the king, you've got the son. The stories are best told with three people, not two, because you can create conflicts and triangles. We wanted a third elf character. Was this a chance to put a female role in the story? Because there are so few female roles. Also, you do have a lot of young girls seeing this film, and they should have somebody in there who can, they can empathize, empathize with. It was a very cold-blooded decision. Yes, mm. okay, a female elf. And that was how it came about. You have to be aware of your audience, or otherwise you're just not doing your job. I just think of all those 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old girls who come to see these films. Who are they going to actually empathize with? At least they have Toriel. At least they know how to kill orcs now. So that could come in handy one day. We're teaching girls good skills. Huh. Do, you, do you buy it? Oh, that was all a quote. At yeah, point, oh, I yeah. no, that was t- I thought not you me. were editorializing. No, 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 that was all uh, that's all Peter Jackson. I'm sorry for the long wind. I should have oh. used my voice my voices. <laughs> uh do I buy it? Yeah, I buy it in the way that 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 made sense for getting the most people into theaters and trying to make it resonate. I, let, let me take away the idea of getting the most people into theaters. That makes me sound too cynical. I understand with that trying to make it resonate with the most amount of people there. That doesn't change for me that I thought that the love story was pretty ham-handed. Mm-hmm. And, for, and forced in and was very the love story. Couldn't have, couldn't have shown a larger light on it, as with most things in this film. So mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I understand, but I it doesn't make it, necessarily forgivable for me because i don't think it was handled very well okay steve does that change your your thoughts as a father of daughters do you think they couldn't empathize with anybody else in the film that's true i also hate women (laughs) oh god (laughs) what (laughs) what did i say Uh, well Uh. i guess (laughs) every time (sighs) sorry Uh, you know, and I guess you know, well, I, I'm going to agree with Tom that, you know, yeah, it's the love story. It's this, it's that. Um, did my girls need that in the film to enjoy it? No. I, you know, if you, because we, we've been doing some, some Christmas shopping and we've been talking about these, uh, I don't know what these, there's these collectible figures, these big headed things, these pop figurines or whatever. And uh, my youngest daughter is like, oh, if I could get Legolas and Aragorn and like Smog, that would be awesome. So oh, she's wow. not like, oh, I need a female character to identify with um, because she's going to identify with, you know, different characters. It's about the story. It's not like, oh, girls have to do this certain thing. I can only identify with girls. Uh, but to Tom's point about it being ham handed and this and that, the fact that, yes, I agree with that, but still think it was the best part of the film. Sort sure. of, I think, speaks wow, to, that does you, speak know, a lot of, you know, a, yeah. a lot about it because it just, you know, and I guess maybe it was in terms of the structure of the storytelling, because you've got that combined with, oh, we've got Legolas fighting this guy. And I'm thinking there's no stakes here because we know he's alive for the next three films. So there's no <laughs> I'm not invested in this. all. It's like, oh, the floor is dropping. Oh, he's running up falling rocks. OK, yay. But I know nothing tragic is going to happen to him. So why waste my time with this? It's not right. adding anything. It's not moving the story forward. It's just showing off. Of like we can do this, we can do this, and it just it, it bored me, and I, I want to say I, I sort of felt insulted as an audience member of like you can't trust me with a challenging story with something different, you know. Uh, Pete, you and Andy talked on uh, I can't remember which episode it was, just a 
you know, one of your Ellen Burstyn episodes about, I think Andy asked, what stories have you seen, you know, so many times and you're just sick of them? Right. And like, this film represented like everything I've seen, like in fantasy adventure films that I'm just tired of seeing. And I've seen it done a thousand times and I expected Peter Jackson to really be able to raise the bar for what he could do. And he just really let me down with this. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely resonate with that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it really is, it, it does feel like a rehash of, of lowered expectations in storytelling. And, and uh, it was frustrating because, uh, for me at least, uh, because I think he, is, he has proven himself in the past as better than this. I think that's the thing. It's, I'm, I'm a little bit heartbroken. And it's just, but it's just going down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I you mean, know, I, I'm talking more specifically about that. You know, if we talk about the first trilogy of the, the Lord of the Rings, I, I felt like I, I didn't have this. I didn't walk away from, from those films disappointed in the way he handled my emotional journey. Right. Uh, as custodian of my emotional journey in this film. And, and here, uh, I, I think this, uh, you know, the love story, back to the love story in particular, it is, it is so shoehorned in and it, it really. Um, you know, I like the way you said it, Steve. I mean, assuming that that girls can't enjoy an, a fantasy action story if there are no, you know, prominent girls in it um, is, you know, uh, that was a problem for me. It's insulting. It, it, right. it is. Yeah, right. it, it is insulting. I, you know, and and um, you know, I know, you know, seeing it with my daughter, that was. Uh, let, let me just say, her favorite part of the film was not uh, the Toriel love story. Right, not not by a long shot. So not just the kissing scenes. <laughs> not just the kissing scenes. And when they like get to pick out all their outfits, <laughs> which is, I, and I'm sorry, like it, it's there's you can't help but <laughs> can't help but uh, but laugh at the crazy mismatch between the dwarf who appears to change heights in his relationship with her through the oh, course of when it when it's important films. he's on a step stool. Yeah, yeah. right. Right. So apparently they have a lot of apple boxes in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh anybody else uh, so you know I we I feel like we we spun off of our conversation about Martin Freeman in, in particular and and I didn't get my two cents in. Uh maybe it was unfortunate his his uh, presence on Saturday night live this week. Did anybody happen to see uh the Hobbit the paper or uh, uh, the Hobbit the office sketch that they did? Yes, I did. Did you find it difficult to watch him in this movie after seeing that at all? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I guess only I never thought about that. So no, I guess the short answer is no. It didn't it didn't hurt me. It just maybe with that in mind again just wanted more general humanity and normal yeah. talking and normal acting in this movie. I um, I think Martin Freeman is a wonderful talent. I really do. I love watching this guy on screen. I have said it before. I will say it again. He is. I think he's a wonderful talent. Some of his best, his abs. When you talk about just emotional range, some of his best work is is season one of Sherlock, and uh, yeah. it, it is just incredible watching him dealing with PTSD and dealing with you know his his physicality uh, in in that series. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him in the first two films, but after seeing this and then, you know, right on the heels of that sketch, uh, reminding me of his turn as the lovable uh, central male character in the original BBC 
The Office. For those um, that don't know, he played the John Krasinski character yes. in the American mm-hmm. Office. Yes, uh, and he was terrific. I mean, he was he was great. He's very he's got that sort of dry sarcasm wit. Uh, he's very lovable. That's the character that I found in in his Bilbo Baggins in this film, and I had a really hard time with that. It, it felt like I it, you know, um, it it was just that level of kind of weird office quirkiness. Uh, that I, I felt like he he even sort of shrank a little bit in in you know the the depth of his performance in this even compared to the first two, and maybe as you say that maybe that's because uh, of the he was given so shrinking, much less to yeah, do the shrinking role. He's just reacting. Yeah. So if you're just in, if you're caught in a movie where you're almost just reacting, you're probably going to play it up. Yeah, I don't know what uh, Chad. What was your take on his performance as as um, central character? He, yeah, he didn't have a lot to. He did not have a lot to play with. He was, I mean, he. I, I, I do like Martin a lot. I think he he plays roles that are, and he, he does play a lot of very similar roles. But the the roles he plays, I think, offer, um, like you said, a very a very uh, uh, allows him to have the emotional range within those roles. You know, I mean, what's unfortunate is it's this last one he's misplaced. I mean, what's odd? It's it's like if if you didn't have him in this movie I, I don't know if i could remember the movie as a whole i i don't re- i mean i remember parts he was in mainly because he brought you know he did he brought uh pieces to the to that film that require uh us to feel anything for anybody because everyone else is trying to make us feel stuff martin is actually drawing us into the to the film every time i saw martin freeman in there i just felt like he was the one that allowed me to feel anything for the film because he cared about the people, and he took time for us to to care with him. Everybody else, I felt like their whole thing was about themselves, and they, they you know it didn't allow us to really care. So Martin Martin Freeman's role in this was unfortunately put put to the side, and he at the end it just it, it what was sad is like at the end when he is looking at all his buddies from it looks like some sort of like fifth grade photo that. Horrible. They're all standing there with their, you know, like, gosh, like, where's your teacher kind of thing. And I, I just <laughs> I didn't care about any of them. And I wanted to sit there and care. And he cared. And I cared that he cared. But I didn't understand why he cared so much. I didn't, you know, I guess I didn't feel the connection. They just look like people that, yeah, like, come over for tea sometime. But, like, don't, you know, come over anytime soon because I don't care that you're there. I just want to see Martin Freeman because Martin... He was the guy that like kept everybody together when whenever there was, you know, whenever things were getting out of control, I felt like they placed him in there. Like, this is getting crazy. This is insane. No one's following this. Let's put Martin in there and we'll have him take the rock and give it to somebody else. Okay. And have oh, yeah. To the point where there's a crowd and there are people talking and he just sort of emerges from the crowd. Oh, right. Yeah. I did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He emerges and, and he, oh, I did this. And I, I, even though it was ridiculous, I cared. I, I really was glad that he was there because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, good, now I'm watching a movie. He's the one guy I, I recognize. Yeah, yep. I recognize, I care about. The other guys, unfortunately, when they came on, it was too much, too deep, too far, and and not enough. Um, they didn't, they didn't, I, f- I felt like, I guess, I don't know who kept bringing it up. Maybe it was you, Tom, they just kept, or maybe it was you, Steve, they just felt like you just felt a little insulted. I felt, ins- I did, I, I wouldn't have said insulted until you said that, but I kind of did. I felt ignorant to the fact that I'm, I feel like I'm stepping in this world and no one wanted me to be invited there. No one wanted me to be there. Like, I, well, the, I felt Martin was the only guy who wanted me to be around. 
Well, the movie's called The Hobbit. <laughs> You know, Battle yeah. of the Five Armies, but the movie that I actually watched was Bard the Bowman, Dragon Slayer in the Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah. Because, that, I mean, if you think about it, the amount of screen time Martin Freeman has in the first two films, I mean, you've got that great scene in, with, with Smog in the second film. In the first one, it's really, you know, how Bilbo, you know, deals with, you know, being uprooted out of his comfortable environment and being taken on this adventure. And it's, it's yeah. so much about him. And he is so absent in this film and it was like we're, here's more scenes of bard being this like cool you know warrior and i'm like who is this guy i don't care right i don't care i'm a father and he's you know trying to protect his kids and i'm like eh, hey. i've seen it before and i don't i'm not really invested in what's going on with him because i haven't seen that much of him before where's where's the hobbit in the film the hobbit right and he wasn't there can i ask a, a question from a non-reader of tolkien uh, how is the how is the battle just briefly? How is the battle handled in the book? I don't think it's really if it's, it's very brief, as it I is. recall, because it's like Bilbo's story, and he's like, well, as we see in the film, he's knocked unconscious for a good part of it. I think he's right. hiding in a barrel or something in the book. It's been a long time since I read it, but there's so many barrels, not that much, <laughs> and because it's not. We don't have all the, like I said, Peter Jackson's trying to fill in all this, like the oh, geopolitics so that's a, of that's of, a problem of, that of making it three films. Yeah, yeah. Then. Oh, okay. Because I was wondering, like, why would you, yeah, why would you name a book The Hobbit when your main character isn't very important, except for weird emotional things at the end big battle? <laughs> Is the end big battle just not a big deal? No, it's a big deal. I mean, it's the major last part of the book. Like the last chapter, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a, it's, like, it yeah. is part, isn't it? Like yeah. it, it is part three of the book. I but guess. isn't the book like super thin? It's only like a hundred and something pages. I'm yeah, I'm bringing it up here. It's not as long. It's not as long. And like I said, it's really more about Bilbo and what his adventure is in this. You know, and I and know there should be. I agree. Somebody, yeah, but you know, there were things that bothered me on the way home, and I'm like, well, did I doze off? Because what happened to the Arkenstone? It's like, they're there trying to negotiate with Thorin, and all of a sudden the armies show up, and it's like, okay. And I'm like, well, what happened to it? Because it was like the whole MacGuffin through the first you know, hour and a half of this film was who's got the rock and Thorin's upset because he needs his rock and now Bilbo's got it and they're going to use it to negotiate. And yes, right. Bilbo's being a good person because he's he's asking the dwarves, you know, well, if somebody perhaps were to find it, would it be a good thing? And it's like, no, That's we're concerned about Thorin. And then it just disappears for the last hour of the film. They, they pulled a second smog. They killed the dragon a second time too early in the film. Oh, I got the rock. Oh. Okay. And you're like, uh, yeah. no, it's not okay. I don't care. You have the rock. You're lying. <laughs> what? This uh, so the the book was 288 pages. If that gives you an idea. Now he pulled 288 okay. pages and made three gigantic films, <laughs> compared to um, you know the uh, the Lord of the Rings, which was originally released as. Uh, you know, one it was intended release was as one giant book, and but now you get it in kind of three pieces. And I think one is let's see, four hundred and thirty-two pages, three hundred and fifty-two pages, and then uh, the Return of the King is four hundred and thirty-two pages. So it, you know, it's uh, yeah. you know twelve hundred pages of text uh, that got us the first three movies compared to 288 that got us the last. Now, of course, that doesn't count the, the supplementary material that he uh, conjured right. up out of the Tolkien back catalog um, to come up with that. And, and much of it was to, to answer this question of what do you do with these extra characters, these extra elves that aren't supposed to be there, and they've become right. major characters, that kind of thing. What is your sense, uh, gents, on the, um, 
on uh, the way he handled this film as prequels. And I'm saying prequel now in quotes. Yeah. Yeah, because, because of the whole Sauron showing up. Yeah, we have yeah, two sequences, stuff. I think, that are really, you know, you talk about ham-handed. I'm interested in your take on these oh, two sequences. It's an eye. It's Sauron. It's yeah. the eye. It's Sauron. Let's spend 45 seconds cutting back and forth in case you don't get it the first time. That was so 60s, right? The psychedelic <laughs> cinema. Like, we can't, like, we're going to really make a good point out of this by making it hurt your brain. Um, the... Those sequences were not in The Hobbit, but they really were designed, you know, based on my viewing of it, to make this sort of hand-to-glove experience. We made these three films after The Lord of the Rings, but really they're designed to be prequels. They're designed to be episodes one, two, and three, and you're supposed to watch them in this order, and it builds the world and that kind of a thing. It really felt like this was uh, this was Jackson's attempt to um, make it super obvious where these things are in the sequence. The second one is is at the end where the uh, uh, Legolas is talking to um, you know uh, his oh, elf, elf dad. He go, says, go "You need to go find." He's known yeah. as Strider, but I'm not going to tell you his real name. Wink, wink. You'll Everybody find... already knows it. I... Uh, you know those those two sequences. I, I had I felt no like... idea what he was talking about. They were, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but I'm me. But point, I know I... that I'm me, so I'll take myself aside. Go ahead. So, well, that was the that was the the question. Is it, you know, was it too ham handed? And for Tom, probably not, because the whole thing was too ham handed. And like, how do you note that piece of ham out of anything else? But uh, <laughs> you know, for for uh, what do you think about these films now uh, becoming prequels? Well, I just watched the the uh, end of Two Towers and Return of the King within the past month with my my youngest daughter, who'd been working her way through. The Lord of the Rings, uh, and you know I've seen those films several times, but they're still so engaging. Even Return of the King, which people criticized for having like twenty endings, um, you know, it was still I I was you know having seen the film three or four times, watching it again, and, and really being caught up in the story. And you know, with this one, I thought, oh well, I know we're we're going to come up and watch this. Should I watch you know the first two Hobbit films? And I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. I'm like, I, I, I have better things to do with my time than to go through these Hobbit movies again to just get caught up. I sort of wish I had because it sort of threw us in the middle. And I'm like, I think the second film ended with, oh, my gosh, what have we done? The dragon's going to the town. And then, you know, we're sort yep. of thrown in the midst of that. But I honestly, I just don't care about these films to, to really, you know, subject myself to to them again the the lord of the rings films stand on their own as they had for a decade there's no need to to see these films you're you're not there's no necessary information that you need to have from the hobbit films to to gain a, a rich experience out of the lord of the rings films and to me that is the major downfall that it it should have added something to that and it it didn't do anything to it other than you know, waste six, seven hours of my time. Mm. Could have been a great mm. three-hour movie. Let's, uh, y- yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's becoming more and more clear. Let's talk just a little bit about the, uh, we made some comments about how the the film was shot. Uh, the, the film was, uh, the cinematography uh, was done by uh, Andrew Lesney, uh, who did, he's done all the other ones. Um, he did all the Lord of the Rings and the other Hobbits. He's also, I mean, you know, he's got a, a, a fairly rich um, uh, catalog, uh, including just about all the Peter Jackson films, I think. Uh, but also did Babe Pig in the City. So, oh, add that. Hey, um, 
he's uh yeah he did uh, he did babe Wow. Uh, so, what do you talk a little bit about the about the camera work and the, the you know how the film was shot that that uh, were, that you think detracted from the presentation of chaos? I have something. Please, I feel like I, I feel like I keep going first. I don't mean share to. it. Um, it's the idea is what I said. Sort of uh, my opinion in the opening: is spectacle versus real imagination. That I feel like at one point, because so much of this film is just CGI on CGI on CGI, and it looks good, meaning like it looks realistic, but it misses the like the ability to oh, words. Hold on, <laughs> I guess what Tom, it is. I, I, I know exactly really, what you're saying. Cu- it's cutting the frame. I said that before in a Slack post that I put on before. Yeah. Um, you're not, you're not using your, because you can show the entire world. He keeps right. showing the entire world. Yes. There's a scene early on bards going up that tower to shoot the dragon. And it's like, we see him like running up and there's a shot, like a medium shot of him, like in the bell tower. Then it's like, here's this sweeping panoramic shot. And then we're going to cut back to him close up in the tower. I'm like, why did I need that 10 second shot of like, woo, we're swooping around the tower, seeing all the city burning. It didn't give me any additional information. It didn't do anything emotionally. There were so many shots that were just put in there because they could be put in there. I completely, just, I completely agree. It makes me numb. Yes. The dwarves were running across this, this little bridge into their castle. And it's like this. Cool, so many bridges. Shot. Yeah. So many bridges. I'm like, you Ugh. just need to see them come into the room. I don't need, you know, 10, 15 seconds of them running because it's not telling me things. If I go back to the Lord of the Rings films, I can I can get a sense of this shot is giving me the scope of this room or it's doing these things. There was some functionality in terms of telling the story, establishing setting, things of that nature. This, it just was like, put in the shots because we can. And it just, it, 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 I, I looked at that and I said, I don't know why I'm seeing this. Why am I watching this? Why do I need to see this? It's not telling me anything. Here, here. I, hmm. I, I don't want to say lazy filmmaking, but it was just. It's there the was opposite, no, weirdly. There was no it's, critical it's lazy, eye. Yeah. Lazy imagination. Lazy it's imagination. It's time consuming yes. filmmaking you, with armies of people making yes. this crazy world come to life. And all I want is like a tree in the foreground so I can feel like I'm actually there, not always have this God's eye view that I can be wherever. I want to be to see whatever I want to see. It's that makes it not game. seem like a film. It's very much like a video game. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is like a video. I mean, when you're watching it, you watch somebody else playing the video game. And after a while, you're like, just, man, I just hope he wins. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I couldn't help but think I just hope he wins. <laughs> I like and because I, you're watching, you're the big loser is what's happening. You're uh, just, that's I, what it is. Yeah. I couldn't help but, but think, you know, that this is a guy who just got his hand on a new drone camera. Right. We're, right. I just want to fly over everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's that's sort of what it felt like. It just felt uh, like you say, it felt cumbersome too too all encompassing. Uh, anything, I, you know, and maybe this is the biggest challenge besides our our fleeting affinity for Martin Freeman. Is there anything in this film that would cause you to recommend it in any way, shape or form? Uh, Chad. I can tell you why you shouldn't go see it again. No, see, now that's not the game. Dang it. Okay, but here's, here's, a, here's I got to add one more thing. There was another actor in it that I don't, I think it was Will, no, it was James Nesbitt. Was mm-hmm. it James Nesbitt? The guy who played the naggy guy that 
kept doing the wrong thing, but he survived through the entire thing. And he, the yeah, and then he, he dressed up as a woman, and we're supposed to go, oh, uh, that weasel. guy. You I'm going to keep saying this because yeah. that's the only well, name that I remember <laughs> the weasel. James, right? James Nesbitt actually played Bofer. Bofer, right. Okay, so his name but, was the weasel in it? Well, it was the, it was the, the, the like second guy to, um, Stephen Fry's to the master of Lake Town. Right. Yeah, I think the, it was was the it mother, Alfred, the uh, played by from, uh, Ryan Gage. Ryan Gage. Okay, that's yeah, the yeah. mother. Of just, heavenly creatures called him a weasel at one point. That was ridiculous. <laughs> I just that no, was that was all true. Yes, that is true. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. I just did not understand the point of his character at all. It was almost as if he was kind of the guy that was supposed to be the guy that gets killed right away for doing the wrong stuff, but he just kept being there. With every mad, yes. he made these crazy choices, and everybody's just like, "Ah, don't we don't need to kill everybody?" And then he's taking gold, and then he's he's, he's throwing women around. It down his bra, and I'm like, yeah, "This is like amateur, like fantasy filmmaker, right?" You know, whatever in here. Oh, it was supposed he to be his, funny. He leaves the dressed as a woman, full of gold, with like yes. in his bra. Like, what the heck? Yes. Are you? <laughs> yeah, the, there were a couple of, of sequences so... with him. It, you know, you could feel, and he's a he's a talented actor, you know. He's oh, yeah. Been, he's, he's, nothing he's... with him, it just didn't fit. But but there are a number of sequences. There was one that was such a toss-off bit of slapstick. Uh, in the, They're on the beach. Everybody is really, really oh, sad. Yeah. And then they realize they're really happy because Lake Town Man, um, you know, uh, Bard oh. the Bowman is there, and they realize he's the one who... Uh, you know, who did slay the dragon. I don't know how anybody could have seen that with their bare eyes or with the, yes. you know, I saw it with my own eyes. How could you possibly have seen he that? He saw it. Because the smoke it. and the flames, I mean, you couldn't see anything. The uh, but but in that sequence, did you guys notice, or was it was it just an like an it almost felt like an error of the film? Yes, I saw your talking. At, you know, at one that. point, yeah, he falls down and he gets back up and he tries to say something, but I, I guess he's punched by Bard and he falls down again real fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens so fast. Like you know, it's yeah. supposed to be some sort of comic moment, but it happens so fast that <sighs> uh, that you can. And, and the film, I think, was full of it for that for for poor Ryan Gage because I, I think he's a funny actor, and I think yeah. uh, I, I think it's too bad that he was used um, used that so way. poorly. Yeah. And I kept hoping for that character because it seemed like once they had sort of like rallied and gotten to the the city of Dale and were like trying to reestablish themselves and all this, that like Bard like entrusts him with some things. And I thought, okay, this character is going to like go through a transformation and he's going to step up and he's going to redeem himself. He's going to do some selfless act because that would be really interesting. It would be something to no. Turns out not that interesting. No, no. I will Maybe. say there was some, there was an interesting. Yeah. I actually thought of you, Chad. I don't know if it's if you have this uh, uh, unnatural uh, love for this particular actor, but seeing Billy Connolly as Dane show up really oh. surprised me. Like <laughs> yeah. I, the I was really pleased. Everything? Yes, with his yeah. bare head. I that that was a bit of comedy I could I could rally yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple things like that. It was like also like did you notice? Was it funny to you when like those big monsters? One of them like rammed his head into a the wall <laughs> and that died. One did. I thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah. The eight year old in me laughed really hard it because did. he like rammed, yeah. and I was like, "Yay, okay." But there was just too much of that. Like smog is going to crush the you know the whatever the greedy, selfish you know master of of Lake Town. I'm like, of course, he, and the, then the he literally gonna, crushes. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, there were just so many things. So I'm like at the credits. I'm like, okay, who's responsible for writing this? Did they just 
who threw this together? And I'm looking at these names going, these are all the people that did the Lord of the Rings films in yep. Guillermo del Toro. What the, what? Yeah. Who's what the director wrong? of broad humor? How, yes. Yeah. Oh, it just, uh, you know, there. Yeah. And I, I think that to me, the disconnect was Tolkien's, it's like somebody remaking Shakespeare and just putting bad corny jokes in it. Cause you've got some sequences where like the language is like true to the Tolkien universe. And it's like this high language. And then you get just these flat, dull clunker mm-hmm. lines and just, Oh, it's such a like patchwork of a film. So back to my question. Okay. Oh, Any, anything, anything redeeming? Anything. Steve? I do. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Tom, <laughs> I got some. I got some. Wait, wait, wait. Let me think through all the two and a half hours of. I I liked. Uh, I got something. <laughs> hey, go ahead. What are you doing? I'm coming up short here. Um, the moment that I came alive, like I had come alive in the Lord of the Rings movies, when again, this is not my genre. Uh-huh. But there was so much in the Lord of the Rings that I loved was the moments, very, very small, during the 19 Armies fight when the – ooh, wait, I made notes. When the elves jumped over the dwarves' shields. Yes. Okay, yeah. When the bad guys are coming in and they yes. made – and all of the dwarves made that huge, like, oh, yeah. sort that of was, thing. Yeah. That was breathtaking and that's also, again, imagination versus spectacle. Right. That's using a smart idea that you can show in a grand way versus just showing what you whatever you want. I loved that moment. And isn't yeah. that funny how coordinated movement of human people uh, in fancy outfits is one of the most appealing things in a movie that is all about bits? <laughs> I know! Yeah. That's the thing! Okay, so Tom, going off of that, the part that I liked was when... <laughs> When uh, the King Elf guy, I don't remember, what, with the big moose antler thing that he's riding, yes. is, he's, is he's marching through, and the elves are, like, stepping aside in line yeah. with each other. And then yeah. when they filter back, I was like, it was so mechanical, it, the way they would just turn, and I'm like, well, how, are they, how are they parting without, like, scrunching into each other? And they had this very particular method of movement, and again, it's, that's what's... <laughs> It that's was beautiful. Going, I, I totally that agree. Looks really nice. Yeah. Yes, and that's really not even beautiful. people doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's, although I do have to say, Lee Pace, I, I kept going. This battle would be so much better if there was a dance off with the, uh, you know, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Where's Chris Pratt to do a dance off? <laughs> oh right, because that would have made this battle much more entertaining for me. I, uh, I, I gotta say, you know, I wasn't a fan. I haven't been a fan of the Azog. Bolg addition to the Hobbit, the you know the the Captain Hook orc. Um, oh, uh, white Scarface, white guy that's all Scarfaced. Yeah, oh, he um, looked he looked a lot better this time. He did. He, did. he looked a lot better at this time. But I will so say, dull, really dull until the end. I've got to tell you, you know, and that's one of the things that that makes me recommend this film, and unfortunately makes me recommend it in the theater if you're going to see it, just because there are moments of visual spectacle that are really worth seeing it on the big screen i i think if you can if you can stomach the other stuff you might even bring some headphones and just listen to some other music um but the uh you know i think the thorin uh azog uh battle on the ice while generally um you know is it's a little bit uh, slipshod for me just ending by 
by you know throwing the the stone on a chain into his arms so that the weight would offset the ice and yes. he would fall. <laughs> you Honestly, know. I that have to great. be a, a naysayer. I liked that. You I, did. I, I felt was, like that was a was, moment of comedy in a moment that was otherwise uh, meant to be serious. Uh, but I will I say, it was quiet and graceful in a movie filled with screaming. Just personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, oh, Tom, it, was, it, was, it was it was intelligence over just ramming it? against things. But was it? Because I kept wondering. I kept watching Thorne and like, it, like, okay, is he strategically doing this? Is he like? It certainly didn't feel guy, like it to me. Oh, I, no, I, and that's I what I was like hoping for. I was like, oh, he's starting yeah. to smash this. Like, oh, he's coming up with a plan to like, you know, have this, you know, have him break out chunks of ice so he's going to drop it. I thought, oh, again, let's have something smart. Let's have you know a battle of the wits of you know, brawn versus brains and. But no, then we get just, that, Steve. That's one of the things I like so much. After yeah. that. Yeah. I really like the way it played out. I thought yeah. the visual of Azog under the ice floating oh, sure. quietly was, was yeah. gorgeous. And I particularly awesome. loved when he comes back uh, out yeah. of the ice and yeah. and you see Thorin make the choice as yeah. he has his, you know, oh, Azog sure. has his sword coming down on him. And you see Thorin, you see him make this choice. I need to be yeah. stabbed so that right. I can put myself in a better position to kill this guy and right. then succeed at it. You realize this is why they're trying to set him up as a leader. Leader, as a successful right. leader, and it oh, would be sure. so great if, if we could actually feel that way about him over the course of the film, so it would feel like a larger loss when he actually dies. Yeah. Uh, but but I you know I felt like that this would have been the greatest way to end this character right. if we cared at all about him at that point. <laughs> We're yeah. weird. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so you know what made that scene look better. 48 frames per second made it look pretty That's nice. a great question. Did everybody see it? How did we see it? Tom, I assume you saw it standard def. I, I just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I saw, I saw it completely standard. I tried to see it in 3D, which okay. I giggled because I didn't see it in 3D, when during that big ice scene, when the yeah, sword, so many scenes that he's just <laughs> holding the sword out right towards the yeah. camera. Yeah. I giggled. But no, I just saw it in standard def. Okay. Uh, Chad, how did you I see th- it? I think I, well, I saw it in 3D. Okay. Did you see it in high high frame rate or just regular three D? You know, I keep forgetting if it was what is that, forty eight frames? Forty eight frames, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, no, it wasn't forty eight frames. Okay. Yeah. And Steve, I assume you yes. you went full bore forty eight frames IMAX. Yeah, because it, I, it it's not IMAX where I saw it. So mm. it's it's three D high frame rate. It's not IMAX because the theater that does high frame rate I don't have the IMAX. Did you like forty eight frames? Option. Did you like it? In 48 frames per you second. You like the high frame rate? I love that. You know, the, I, I, you know what it, I realized this time watching it? Um, it's, I'm like, what is it visually that bothers people about this? It's like, on the, on the close-ups, it doesn't make sense. But when, it's, when I was seeing, like, the city burning and the dragon flying across, I'm like, you know what? This is like going to, like, a, a theatrical performance because you're seeing things and there's that clarity of a live performance there. But well, what's disrupting is because you don't, you know, if you see, you know, large Broadway show and stuff and it's like, you don't have motion blur and all these things that we see in film. It's like, everything's crisp and clear, but what's disconcerting, I think to the human eyes, when you get to those close-ups and you still have that clarity and, and the cutting is, you know, a problem. But for a lot of those sweeping panoramic shots, I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. It's like, Wow, there's a like somebody's built this the most elaborate stage set ever because it's really crystal clear. 
It's the, so real. Like yes. you can walk into it. You really, yes. it, it really feels like that. Like you're really huh. looking through a window. I, I did yeah. see 48 huh. frames per second IMAX 3D. Oh, and okay. it was, I mean, it is a, a spectacle. I, you know, I have the same opinion I did the last time. It's too much. And I, you know, and I, but I'm a guy like when I take on projects and I'm shooting projects, I always shoot intentionally. Even shooting in standard HD, which defaults to, you know, 30 or 60 frames per second, I'd stop down to 24 frames because I really love the look at it. So I'm, I feel like visually I'm a little bit old-fashioned. Um, Tom, when you shoot, you, you're always 24, right? 20, uh, otherwise, it feels so – ironically, it feels fake to me. Yes, and that's Even the though the life yeah. is – 30 yeah. frames per second like i it just feels so fake to me right right so anyway here here we are and i i picked up this article uh, on uh you know, what's his name uh titanic and avatar guy what's his name james cameron, james cameron. so james cameron uh, th- james a- cameron <laughs> james well, cameron has this piece uh <laughs> you know he is he's pledged to only make avatar movies from here on out and he is in the peter jackson camp on high not just high frame rate but higher frame rates uh, in making his films, and I think the you know what what he is saying and what the what people are speculating in his camp is that it is not just forty eight frames per second that is the answer it and it it is a uh, delivery mechanism that allows you to dynamically change the frame rate as you are viewing the film mm. and what? I really felt that in this experience. So if you imagine when you're looking at close-ups and you're looking at, at you know, intimate human sequences, you're looking at 24 frames per second. But as soon as you see a dragon come off the mountain and fly, you know, across the screen, these beautiful CGI rendered sequences, those go up to 48 or higher frames per second. So you get all of the detail in CG, but you still have all the intimacy uh, in the human close-ups, that sort of soft uh, edge, softer edged, um, uh, kind of blur effect. And I, I found myself more fascinated with high frame rate than I have ever been thinking about that because it would be smart wielding of the technology. And this still feels visually like a blunt instrument. Wow. Mm. I, I can't imagine how those wouldn't collide against each other and take you out of the movie. I know. So, yeah. so many times. And that is why we are doing a podcast about films and not making high frame rate spectacles like this. Oh, that's right. I'm actually a hologram. <laughs> Does that help? Any? Uh, let's do. Uh, let's do our final comments and wrap up, and then we go do the part that I frankly have been looking forward to uh, since I found out that Andy was not going to be here. Uh, and I think you know where we're going. Uh, so, Chad, final comments. Um, I would. I would watch the movie. Uh, I would watch the movie. <laughs> High praise. I would watch the movie in the in a theater. I watched. It, I just let you guys know. I did. I watched it in a dine-in theater, the AMC dine-in dine-in theater, where the seats go back. Leather. It seems oh, like I've you're never in, done one of those mm. yet. Oh, see, that's the one you got to do it because it's three long hours of, and they they serve you food there. That's how I would do it because then you can distract yourself with like a tortilla, which is what I did. And that for four or five minutes at a time, or then you would glance up and see people doing the same thing they did five minutes before. But um, I, I seriously, the whole movie is let us in there. No, you can't come in. But then the ending of it is okay. That's pretty much the whole thing. 
that's it. And then people fight each other, and they're so beautiful things, beautiful scene, you know, great landscape shots, great, I mean, use of, I think there are some good and very positive uses of the CGI work and the way that they, uh, you know, I mean, we can sit there and bash and say, you know, this this movie was a long waste of time, but I think Peter Jackson does still, like, does put his hand in, in you know, in the scenes that, you know, you're in awe of that that, that are... You know, some of those, like, when we're, I was talking as Pete's going to say the same exact thing when you said the the scene where he's with the, with the orc and he throws that whole weight on him and he falls in. It was so quiet and so, but it was perfect. The timing was perfect. And it's little scenes like that. But overall, I would not, I, it's, you know, I would see it to say you saw it. It's like I, I climbed this mountain. Now I don't have to climb it again. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if you've seen the other two, you might as well go see this one. But it's. <laughs> Dude, if you had it, I, how about this? If you get Why it, do we see it, The Hobbit? Because it's there. That's yes. high, really high praise. I think that if was the tagline. What's fast forwarding through? Uh, Steve. Oh, you know, I, I'm going to agree with, <laughs> with Chad. I mean, if you've seen the first two in the theater and you want to be a completionist, there are some beautiful scenes. There's some great, you know, I mean, the, the I, I, I really... Hope for some more dragon in there, but there are some really cool dynamic, you know, spectacular effects scenes. But overall, eh, yeah, you know, if if you if you haven't seen the other ones, there's no point to even bother starting. You're it's it's you'll just be angry and disappointed in a bitter old man. Ooh, <laughs> mm. Tom. Just because you can show everything doesn't mean you should. I'm desperate excited to see what Peter Jackson will do now that he's done with the uh, Gerald but, Tolkien stuff. But he's not. He's not. I've heard rumors. Adventures of Tintin, Prisoners of the Sun. Oh, no, no. I thought he was... No, what? no, no. I know he's doing Tintin, but I thought there's rumors that he may come back with some additional Tolkien oh. films. Oh, good grief. Because there's right. that whole other... There's, there's just, you know, volumes of, you know, material. God, man, put a fork in it. Uh... Heavenly Creatures is one of my oh, favorite films oh, of all time, and that I just want as much as possible. I want that kind of um, Peter Jackson back. That's all. Please. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I feel like uh, Jackson and uh, Fran Walsh uh, tied themselves, put themselves in a bit of a tight spot with this with this series in trying to adapt. Uh, what is a children's book to uh, the world that they created, and it was just not meant to be there. And it always feels to me not quite at home. Um, I am I'm glad we can put this one on the shelf and be done with it. Um, but again, I think it's it's worth seeing uh, for the spectacle uh, if you are into spectacle. But you really, really better be into spectacle uh, because there ain't no story there to back it up. That's uh, that's all that great. Agreed. If I was a jerk, I would say, Peter Jackson, enjoy your mountain of gold. I'm glad you're not a jerk. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And now I think we need to rank it. Flick chart, The Hobbit. <laughs> if I'm not a fan of the movie, they don't no, get a good I got no juice. <laughs> 
Sorry. Head over to Flickchart, everybody. If you go to flickchart.com slash TNR film board, uh, you will find all of the films that we, the gang of Merry Thugs, have reviewed. And uh, let's just see how the Battle of the Five Armies stacks up. Oh, boy. <sighs> all I right. Number one. Are you ready? I'm so excited. I know you never get. To do I this. never push the buttons. This is so. <laughs> the <laughs> Battle of the Five Armies or Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Atlas was amazing compared to. <laughs> uh, I agree, Cloud Atlas. Next up, Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies or Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Oh my gosh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Mm, we have one registered for Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Wait, what? Tom, Come on, guys. Oh, oh, Tom, remember, this is the one with Kenneth Branagh as the bad Russian and Kevin Costner and oh, Captain right Kirk. Oh, yeah, forget this yeah. one. Yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was, again, another movie that did things that we'd always seen before, but right. that one's, oh, I hated that one. Tom, though. this is that movie that's, that is as forgettable as the Battle of the Five Armies is going to be in six months. But it wasn't as that's long in six months. Good point, Chad. Jack Ryan, because it's about half as long. Uh, yeah, Jack Ryan. I, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to say Hobbit. Why? Because, because of the elves leaping over. Because I can because, remember. Literally, I can one, remember. One 30-second scene is worth two hours of pain. Oh, my God. Steve, is, are you on with uh, the Hobbit no. as well? No. I, Jack Ryan. Oh, it's going to be a tie, I can tell. So if I go with Jack Ryan, which is, uh, you know, I... I, I I'll watch oh, that. Oh, the bathroom again. scene. Nope, I got it. Jack Ryan Shatter. <laughs> when, when he shows him into the hotel and they have they oh. end up having that big shootout. I yes. love it. Jack yeah. Ryan Shatter. I'll watch Jack Ryan again. I, I will never watch one of these Hobbit films again. Ooh. That was a little snarky. A little bit mean girls. <laughs> you will if Peter uh, Jackson comes to your house. I'm a- <laughs> oh my god, is Peter Jackson coming to I your also house? am with Jack Ryan Shatter Recruit. Okay. How about the Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies or Now You See Me? <laughs> oh, wow. Peekaboo. Why do you keep throwing turds in here, man? It's like turd against turd. Because <laughs> we're, we're in the bottom quartile of the list here. It's the turds <laughs> for the sixth army. Um, I will say Now You See Me. Now You See Me, yeah. Yeah, because that made me at least laugh. What? There were no orcs in that. There were zero orcs. I didn't. I didn't get bored. I mean, yes, it's. I can oh like God. that movie. Oh, you guys, do. oh, you guys. Do you remember our conversation it's, about it's that movie? Light fun. It was it terrible. Oh yes, it's bad, but it it wasn't boring. You know, yes, there's it's that's. There's films that have done better, but Woody Harrelson and, you know, the interrogation scenes, there's yeah. just some cleverness. I agree. It falls apart at the end, but the front half of that is good. This was... Now You See Me is ranked only higher than Oz the Great and Powerful and You're Next. It was terrible. <laughs> no, but I liked those films better than The Hobbit. I don't remember Andy throwing so much shade during when he's in charge of things. Yeah. No, he's like you're making all right, all, all right. Terrible. That's fine. It's all going to my head. I admit it. All right. All right. So you've got we, the gold crazies. Who, <laughs> who has I so is everybody now you see me? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it doesn't matter. That's yeah, that's just that's fine. Right. You can push the button all you want, but your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> it does well, speaking of uh Battle of the Five Armies against your next. I loved your next. It was your fun and silly. Is, yeah. yeah. 
Like Tom and I agreed there are better horror films, but that one was light and fun and had some. That's with the survival chick with the crazy contraptions killing people and stuff. Yeah. Because I'm such a horror lover, and that might not make sense for my thing, but I will say The Hobbit because Your Next was so disappointing. Oh, it was. Fun. Oh, my gosh. So if you had to sit and watch two, you're forced. You would watch The Hobbit. No, I'd probably watch Now You See Me. <laughs> That's not one of them. That's not. No, that's a good point. No, he brings up a good point. If I was right now forced to watch one, I would easily watch your next. So maybe I will change my vote because of that idea. I will say your next. Thank you, Chad. I had to clear that. Yeah. I know you didn't like that. I know you just got skunked on the bottom five here. You guys. Andy, I want you to come home. There is no Andy. You guys, there is only uh, us. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you will be proud to hear you uh, buzzkill. There is no joy in your life, uh, gentlemen. That we have sunk the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, to last place, number twenty-nine. My gosh, really? out of twenty-nine. Yes, it was a horrible, painful experience. But but remember, it, the Hobbit. It wasn't as bad uh, as some of the other ones. That we... The Hobbit, huh. the Desolation of Smog, is number oh. eleven. Oh, and yeah, The no. Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey is number yes. 12. Because yeah. of Martin Freeman actually was in those films. He was not in this film. All right. That's... I'll give it to you. Pete uh, is so disappointed. <laughs> he hates his gang of thugs. And I'm sorry, Pete. We appreciate no. you. Andy's never allowed to be absent again. It's, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. Well, that, that should go without saying. Hey, uh, happy holidays to all of you. Right. Gentlemen, thank you so much yeah. for being here. Steve Sarmento. Thank you. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And Chad Stoops. Love you guys. Tommy, happy holidays. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And to everybody else listening, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. Learn more about the show at thenextreel.com. Subscribe in iTunes. We love those five-star reviews. Yeah, you know, and as Mom used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, best not say anything at all. And don't forget, uh, go buy a shirt. Yeah, right? Everyone needs shirts. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Go buy a shirt. Yeah, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk on Christmas. Go buy a shirt. Chad, back me up. We support you guys and trying to give you guys prime entertainment. We're, we're yeah. entertaining you. The least you can do yeah. is help. Yeah, yeah. What are you, bunch of bunch of shirt scrooges? Yeah, don't you're going to wear no shirts shirt screw. for Christmas? Yeah. You can go just bare, bare-chested? Yeah, what are you going to buy a fatted goose? You can't wear a fatted goose. Go buy a shirt. Get a little greasy. What are you doing? Wearing a goose. Buy a shirt. Buy a shirt from us. Yes. Chad, back me up. Wear a shirt so it can cover up that huge hole of a belly button you wear. Yeah, what's going on with your belly button? What are you going to goose on, that man? up? No, you look you're at not that. Exactly. Chad, back me up. <laughs> Don't need to look at that, man. I'm sick of hiding toys in your belly button. We got to look at that. Put a shirt yeah. on. Yeah, jingle bells, jingle bells, don't be a jerk. Buy a buy a t-shirt for once in your life. Chad, back me up. Dude, that totally rhymed. Jingle Did bells, it really? Bells, don't fantastic. be a jerk. Why don't you just get out there and buy yourself a shirt?
Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Egger's tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 